All right. No need for the usual nice sunshine and rainbow intro. My name's Theo. This is my podcast. And today we need to talk about what just happened in Philadelphia. Police responded to a distress call in Philadelphia from Walter Wallace Jr.'s family, a 27-year-old man who struggled with mental health issues. Police arrived on the scene to find Wallace Jr. holding a knife. The officer shot several rounds at the man and killed him. As far as I know, the sequence of events were as follows. Wallace's family made several distress calls throughout the day and stated that the calls were for an ambulance. Police arrived on the scene and Wallace was erratically waving a knife. He was ordered to put the knife down. His mother was telling the officers that he had mental health issues. And when he approached the officers, they shot him 10 times. Now, I made a fair share of public statements throughout the early summer and had several conversations with friends, family members, etc. during the early summer months about this situation. But I want to wrap them all up in what will be a multi-part series titled Race in America. This will be part one about the police, public demonstrations, and the connectivity of past events. Today, we'll be breaking down the reasons why Black Americans have such an unpleasant relationship with the police and both the lasting and seemingly never-ending recurring events of each major event in the relative timeline. So I will go through basically four main parts, the history, repeated violence, the lack of accountability, and the amount of funding. So for the history, in pre-Civil War America, the police were employed to capture runaway slaves and return them to plantations. After the Civil War, During the Jim Crow segregationist America era, the police were segregation enforcers. Any black Americans were found in white spaces, they were arrested. Since then, the police belong to local jurisdictions and follow the local rules. But it's very easy to note how both the legislation they follow and the biases officers keep are inherently discriminatory. Per the National Institute of Health, From 2009 to 2012, 812 fatalities from the use of lethal force occurred in 17 states. 52% of the victims were white. 32% were black, which, comparing population totals, results in a rate of 2.8 black Americans killed to every white American. The study showed that 83% of victims were armed, However, 14.8% of black victims were unarmed compared to 9.4% of white victims that were unarmed. Per the Washington Post, police have been found to underreport nearly half of all fatal killings. This is because reporting by police officers is voluntary and many departments choose not to report. The Post found that the total amount of white Americans killed was the highest of any measured group. However, black Americans and Hispanic Americans were killed at rates higher than white Americans when accounting for population percentage. 
black Americans were killed at a rate of 32 deaths per 1 million people. Hispanic Americans at 24 deaths per 1 million people. And white Americans at 13 deaths per million. Lastly, from Statista, at this point in time, half as many black Americans have been killed by police as white Americans in 2020 with white American deaths totaling 287 and black American deaths totaling 142. However, that equates to a rate of 2.8 black Americans killed by police to every white American, the same as 2012. And here's the following math if you want to check me. White Americans comprise 76.3% of the 2019 census population estimates, Hispanic Americans are second with 18.5%, and Black Americans are third with 13.4%. Basically, there are 5.69 white Americans for every Black American, and you can do the rest of the math from there. That is simply the groundwork of what we are working with for the rest of this discussion. Applying math to everything isn't always the answer, but those facts are undeniable. Part two, the repeated violence. From Michael Brown in 2014 to recently with Walter Wallace Jr., the repeated amount of violence towards black Americans is staggering. Since this point last year in 2019, 996 people have been shot and killed by the police. So just shy of a thousand. The facts of the Walter Wallace case become even more jarring when it was noted that the officers who arrived did not have any detaining tools on them. No pepper spray, no tasers, nothing. Just pulled up, ready to fire. For a mental health case, Wallace was shot 10 times, which clearly is an excessive amount. In the death of Breonna Taylor, the ballistic reports show that one bullet exited Taylor's home, fired by her boyfriend, to be returned with an excessive amount of shots. George Floyd was not shot, but for him to have a knee to his neck for as long as he did showed no sign of care for another person's life whatsoever. Eric Garner infamously said that I can't breathe while being choked by police officers for selling cigarettes. These patterns are only the surface for what is the most backbreaking part of all of this, which is part three, the lack of accountability of all of the major stories that we've seen. Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, Christopher Brown, George Floyd, Philando Castile, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, and so, so many more. Do you know how many of the officers were indicted for their deaths, not charged, indicted for their deaths. None. None. That thoroughly reprehensible fact comes with the slap in the face of an officer being charged with wanton endangerment for the bullets that entered Breonna Taylor's neighbor's home. The slap in the face that Tamir Rice had a toy gun and was killed for it, but armed militia can enter Capitol buildings because they don't want to wear masks 
and not be arrested. The slap in the face that Stephon Clark was shot seven times in Sacramento for holding a cell phone in his family's backyard, but Kyle Rittenhouse could leave his own state with a loaded gun to shoot at protesters in a different state and the police not stop him before or after, in addition, not get charged with gun possession. The slap in the face when Philando Castile verbally announced that he had a weapon and a license to carry it in his own car, but when asked to show his identification, was shot and killed. But Dylan Roof shoots black church members and gets escorted to prison with no force involved. It's even worse when the media lets these abhorrent people get away with being a quote-unquote flawed human with mental health issues. I just looked up Dylan Roof on Google just to make sure my story was straight, and the fifth option was Bible study. Like, what? It said Dylan Roof, Bible study. Kyle Rittenhouse got pictures of him doing community service after he shot protesters. But Breonna Taylor would get clickbait headlines for stuff her ex-boyfriend did. Jacob Blake, Jacob Blake, who thankfully is alive, gets articles written about him for his past history, as if that has anything to do with whether he should be alive or not. Oh, and just to add some nonsense on top, both the Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd deaths featured police statements that directly contradicted what happened when we saw the videos. Like, what would we have done without it? Without the videos, so many officers turn their body cameras off. I've seen so many police officers bear wrestle white men trying to defy them being arrested. Another video popped up of a white man with a knife charging at a police officer and the officer trying to parry him away instead of viewing him as a threat, as if they were fencing. To conclude this point, if you are unnaturally irrationally afraid of black people doing the same thing a white person does you're racist that's as straightforward as it gets there should not be police officers afraid to enter communities of color to the level that they have taken such a repeated amount of actions like this I was going to go into part 4.4, 4, but I'm just going to go to 4A, a little off script, just because I'm already emotionally riled up at this point. So let's just address some logically incorrect and absolutely idiotic arguments I've heard. First one, you've heard this one. But what about black on black crime? Okay. Okay. Nobody. And I mean nobody talks about white on white crime as if it's a hindrance to your rights and abilities to live a normal lifestyle. It's that straightforward. Things that happen within certain community groups should not. And I mean, absolutely should not be a deterrent to them seeking and receiving equal protection under the law. 
let the people in those communities solve their problems. Thank you. Homicides happen in proximity and due to centuries worth of segregation and institutionalized racism, poverty happens in clusters and races live in clusters. Black people don't kill black people because they're black. It's about proximity. Yes, I know. I know the numbers. Yes, I'm aware that black on black homicides are at 93%. That's bad, right? White on white homicides at 84%. 9% better for what would end up resulting in more people since the population differences. White people at 76.3% of all Americans, but black people south of 15% of all Americans. 84% isn't something that you should write home about. Yes, white on black crime, white on black crime is only 1%. Yes, I get it. But you know, and I know, that of those 93% black on black homicides, that those people are going to jail. These police officers are not going to jail. Some of them aren't even losing their jobs. Black Americans are enraged because it feels like in the name of self-defense and qualified immunity and these incredibly indestructible police unions. Police officers can kill as many black Americans as they want with zero repercussions. Logical fallacy number two, why protest? Wow, what a fantastic question. Think of it this way. This is part of my answer. Think of it this way. There are at least thousands of Americans that heard about the protests happening in Philadelphia before they heard about Walter Wallace being shot. Guarantee you. The privileged group of Americans who can stand not to care about these things, they won't even hear about it until the natural way of life gets disturbed. Like, oh, look at those ruffians throwing their Walmart into a tizzy. What I do, what I loot if given the chance, probably not. But are you going to tell me that Walmart, who has paid over $1.8 billion in wage theft related fines and settlements, is really suffering right now? Or that Target in Minnesota, right? Goods can be made again. Insurance protects these massive companies. A man was killed during a mental health episode. You should be infinitely more mad about that. Another part about this. Why why the protest? Why the protest? Just 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 march. Just 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 march in peace. All right, here here's the counter argument, right? Protests get people's attention. I can tell you this. It worked in Hong Kong, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Hong Kong, oppressed by the People's Republic of China. A lot of Americans sympathize with Hong Kong. Do you want to know why? Because it's already established that we, as Americans, don't like what people in China do. What the Chinese government does, it's already been established that we're not supposed to like that. Human rights violations. 
internment camps for Muslim people. That's all wrong. And I completely agree that that is completely unacceptable. But make it about the police. And for some reason, people are uncomfortable about that. Why? Why? All because the police haven't hurt you doesn't mean that they haven't hurt someone else. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? On top of that, a few personal anecdotes about protesting. I live approximately 9.8 miles away from that Rite Aid that caught on fire during the Baltimore riots and protests that happened when Freddie Gray was killed. That's how that's approximately how close I am to it, right? I think you have to understand and I'll get into this part later as well in another part that protests don't just come out of nowhere. Right? Things like that happen because there is an ingrained sense of inequality and distrust with local officials and governments that you're basically just setting something on like you're you're lighting a fuse of really angry people right a lot of people view the police as an arm as an extension of local governments look at where these these places happen right Philadelphia has an insanely bad poverty rate. I, I saw somewhere, I did not corroborate this, but I saw somewhere that it is the has the worst poverty rate of all major cities. Baltimore, same situation, horrendous poverty rate. Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, same situation, horrendous poverty rate, especially between white Americans' average household income and black Americans' average household income. These, pe- these people groups have been suffering four years have not seen changes and then someone of their community gets killed and they and like i said they believe that the police is an extension of the government and you're telling me that they should just sit there they should sit there on change.org and sign petitions you are absolutely out of your mind you are it's that straightforward we are in month seven almost eight of one of the worst pandemics in recorded history where we saw 20 percent unemployment at some point in time where where unemployment benefits were not extended past the due date because of you know politics and on top of that there was a one-time twelve hundred dollar check sent to a household and you mean to tell me that these people aren't desperate There's probably people, I agree, there's probably people that went to that, to to that Walmart or wherever they looted, whatever, whatever location you want to plug into this argument. And they weren't there for good reason. They just wanted to be a part of the chaos. I can concede that. That's probably true. I also agree that destroying black owned businesses in an area that's primarily black is a really bad idea. I agree with that. I feel like looting can be quite destructive at times. But tell me this. Evictions are coming up relatively soon and it's about to get really, really, really cold. What would you do? Unemployed. Kids to feed. 
at least 50% of your normal income prior to March is gone. And there's a Walmart there. And you have to feed your kids. Feed yourself. Feed your family. Give them a new pair of shoes. What would you do? That's the situation these people are in. Poverty is incredibly impactful on people's lives. And you just saw for what for some people was a disconnected incident, but to me and many others is a related incident to what we saw earlier this year when you posted your black squares on Instagram. You just saw a part of a problem. These are not isolated incidents. The police have problems. Legislation has problems. This pandemic has highlighted these problems very, very brightly. Let's talk about another kind of protest, since we're still on this. Another kind of protest. It's the quiet, peaceful one. Personal story. I was working downtown Baltimore, internship lifestyle, and... I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened at all. But I was going to this food truck I usually go to. And there's a Bank of America building in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. There's a group of about 60 to 70 people outside with like signs and posters. And they were chanting at the window. It's, I'm assuming someone's office at Bank of America, in the Bank of America building. I had no idea what was going on. I have no idea. They were a couple blocks away, but I could hear them. I could see them. And I have zero idea what they were protesting about. I'm assuming it had to have been something something value of value because this was during people's lunch breaks, right? So it was specifically from 12 to 1, basically every day, from Monday through Friday. But here's what also happened. That was in the fall. One week, it was about, let's just say there were 60, right? And then week two, on Monday, it was about 50. And then it got, it rained on Wednesday. So then there was only about 15. But then it was nice again on Friday. So there was about 35. By the end of the month, they were gone. Do you think... Ask yourself this. Do you think anything changed? If you said no, I'm pretty sure you're right. I don't think anything changed. On top of that, you know me. I stand up for as many human rights issues as I possibly can. I still have no idea what happened. And quite literally, me, just like everyone else at that food truck, ignored them. They were fighting their fight, and I have no idea what's going on. You have to understand how easy it is for companies to do that, for organizations to do that. Let's talk about performative activism for a little bit, just for a little bit. Humor me. Remember when early summer, a lot of these places painted Black Lives Matter on their streets and renamed their street names to Black Lives Matter way? You know, they're all gone, right? Like, you know, they're 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 gone like 
those things don't exist in DC. I know it's gone. I know it's gone in DC. They just took them away. Why? Because no one's mad at them. And well, currently as mad at them as they were, they didn't have to worry about it anymore. They don't have to pacify a bunch of protesters right now. There's still protests going on. And I know that, and I'm very happy for them. But tell me this, how many people, you know, went to a protest yesterday? Right? It's just that straightforward. Companies can just wait you out. I, th- I said this in a previous podcast episode, right? When Pepsi had Kendall Jenner try to solve racism with a can. Nothing bad happened to Pepsi long term. They're still Pepsi. They still own Taco Bell. They still own Frito-Lay. They still own Pizza Hut, right? They're, they're Pepsi. Nothing bad happened. Of course, everyone was really mad in the YouTube comment section. You just got to wait about five, six, seven months. People just find it funny now. Not insensitive. They just find it funny. And that's how life is. Performative activism is really cute, you know? But they all, all, all it is is just to wait it out. Because you want to know why? Because if someone asks them in 10 years, hey, what did you do during the Black Lives Matter momentum movement um, that gained momentum in 2020? They can show you the pictures of what they did, even though the stuff's gone now. They can show you the pictures. There's that nice heart felt whatever that the police chief like took a knee with somebody and then like <laughs> forcefully arrested people like four five, six hours later. There was a Twitter thread of like over 500 instances of police brutality happening just this summer, right? The police shoved an old guy down in I think Buffalo, right? You can't, you can't pro, you can't silently protest that away. You can't, you can't chant that away. That's just how life is. They will wait you out, and it's and it works. It works so so well every single time and it's crazy like that another thing about protests if they are getting someone's attention that's when you say they work right they they at least expanded someone's awareness of it so when san francisco 49ers quarterback colin kaepernick took a knee in 2016 man did did you think the world was gonna end (laughs) oh my gosh i have never ever ever seen so many mad white people just just livid white people just wow right i mean that was that was effective it worked why because The idea is that protesting isn't supposed to make people comfortable. There were statistics shown that during the civil rights movement that over half of all surveyed Americans believed that the civil rights, that the people during the civil rights movement, which was 60 years ago, were asking for too much. 60 years ago, 63% of those people that were surveyed thought that they were going too fast. They were asking for too much too fast. Here's the solution about protests. They'll never make everyone happy. That's just how it is. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Why? Because living as a minority in this country is uncomfortable. That's not a crazy statement to say, is it? 
it's uncomfortable. At the very least, a little uncomfortable. Let alone disadvantageous, dangerous, seemingly hopeless at times. It's uncomfortable. Protests are supposed to be uncomfortable. Why? Because there's something we need. The status quo clearly does not already provide it. I would like it. Please. Okay, please doesn't work. It's time, it's time to turn it up. And I'm okay with that. Like I said, I, I mean, I wouldn't go loot, but I'm not going to be mad at the people who are trying to take some take a pack of chicken thighs from Walmart, all right? that's It's Walmart. It's Walmart, okay? God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But on top of that, let's just... Let's bring it let's bring it on home, right? The funding of the police. Let's just talk about just just funding it. 2017. Wanna know how much money was spent on police in 2017? 115 billion dollars. Tell me, do you feel like it, I think there's a fundamental ideological difference between me and the people who agree with me and and then also a lot of, you know, minorities. And then the people who don't agree with me, who just so happen to largely be, like, white, right? Do the police make you feel comfortable? Is that what it is? Because for the people who I have seen front all over their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, about, oh, my gosh, like, respect the police. Oh, my gosh, just listen to what they say, and you'll be okay. Let me ask you something. Let's just say you were at a college frat party and you were 19 years old drinking and the police showed up. What would you do? I'm serious. You are underage drinking at a college frat party and the police show up. How do you feel? Think about that. Just just marinate on it. Now, tell me. Aren't you following the rules? You're not following the rules, are you? You're underage drinking. You shouldn't be underage drinking. The police showed up. You don't feel safe, do you? You might if you're white. I don't drink. This isn't about me. But think about that. Just follow the rules. No, you know that the rules don't hurt you. That's where these people are. That's where these people are. That say, oh, just follow the rules. They have absolutely broken the rules before. They just know they won't get arrested for it. But Theo, you always follow the rules, don't you? Yeah. I also know that I'm perceived as a threat by a good percentage of America just because I'm really, really dark. Like, straight out the Ghirardelli factory dark. That's how dark I am, right? I know there is a heavy amount of people that if I had my hood up and it was at least two hours away from sunset in either direction, they're crossing the street. They're clutching that purse. I don't want it. I don't care. But I know that's the case. I know police officers view me as a threat. That's just the case. But just follow the rules, Theo. Why don't you just follow the rules? <laughs> and there's also this difference, right? And we're going to break it down very specifically. A lot of people who really, really like the police, and I mean, I'm talking on the neighborhood of uh, thin blue line people who are <laughs> terrifying. Um, they... What if you don't know what I'm talking about? The American flag with the that's whited out with the blue line on it. Yeah, 
I don't even want to talk to those people. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, those those people, they believe something that's actually counterfactual. And I will give the police a small head, like, thumbs up, but a little bit later. Not right now. They believe that the police protects them from bad things. That's what they believe. I believe, like many other people believe, I believe that the police is around to make sure that certain bad things become really bad. Right? Think of it like this. I'm going to give you... I read a doctoral, I think it was a doctoral thesis or whatever that's called. I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. That's just a fact, right? The only thing I know really well is my own relationship. That's the only thing I know really well, right? Someone wrote a really intelligent paper about the five things that a community needs to make people safer. The five things were as follows. Adequate mental health servicing and facilities. Adequate housing. Hospitals. Schools and food those are the five things that any community needs to become safer an abundance and a high quality of those things makes the community very safe now tell me what does that sound like just 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 put it in your head like what does that sound like what is it what is a world where those things exist sound like i can tell you there's a word for it it's a very familiar word it's called a suburb. Suburbs have these things. You know what also isn't in suburbs? A lot of police. It's really straightforward. A lot of people believe that the police catch crimes and crime goes up, so you need more police. That's not how it works. In the places where crime doesn't go up, they have these things. One of the best examples I have Columbia, Maryland, where admittedly I kind of want to move to, right? Howard County, Columbia, Maryland. Cut consistently in the top 5, 10, whatever cities to live in practically every single year. Why? They have enough housing. They have enough parks and recreation. They have enough public education. Enough funding for development projects. What does that lead to? Less crime. There's enough income to make sure people don't need to steal from each other. There's enough public recreation so that the kids have stuff to do there's enough income for these people to have jobs so they can afford houses so they can have nuclear families that's just how it is those factors increase safety take them away it gets a little worse right Des crime comes from desperation that's how it is an inner city does not have enough of these things that's why, quote unquote, inner cities aren't as good. They just don't have the amount of resources per 1,000 people per capita that a suburb has. Obviously, not everywhere in America can be a suburb. That's literally impossible. But we're already incredibly familiar with this concept. Think of it like this. Why specifically would you call the police for a mental health problem because walter wallace's family didn't they called an ambulance right 
that the concept behind defunding the police. This is where I was, I'm just going to get to my thumbs up for them. Are the police good at doing really niche things? Absolutely. Like certain crimes, I'm like, yeah, you need some you need police for that. But I think it should come in tears, right? Because it's really straightforward. If you need to get a cat down from a tree, you don't really need to call the police. You call a firefighter. Why? Because they have the resources to get your cat. Now, if there is an absolute shootout happening and it is like drugs involved and I mean, like some, I mean, just absolutely insane action movie, Michael Bay, excessive explosion kind of thing. You would probably call the SWAT team <laughs> or something like that, right? You would call people who have the expertise to do those things because it makes sense. You're not going to call a social worker to do that, but you shouldn't call the police to do what a social worker should do. That's how I think about it. I feel like social workers can do a really good job in these situations. Give them more funding and watch what happens. Increase the amount of adequate mental health facilities and watch what happens remember how i listed where these places where where these things happen before and like i said i'll cover the poverty and the income in another episode but think of it like this when michael brown and freddie gray died those were in ferguson missouri and baltimore maryland right you want to know the two when i'm when the last time i checked the two worst cities in terms of both homicide rate these are the only two cities that i had measured that were both top five in poverty and top two in homicide rate were Ferguson and Baltimore. Right? You don't think that those are related to how these things unfold? It was, if it's not top five, it's top 10. Either way, you know what I'm saying. They had a high amount of poverty and a high amount of crime. But for some reason, these people don't think that they're related. On top of that, imagine if there was adequate mental health anything in a city. I went to school in Philadelphia and I did not need that much mental health consultation. Realistically, my friends did a really good job just kind of listening to the random thoughts I have. And I have a fantastic family and a fantastic girlfriend who will be my wife one day. Right. I didn't really need much. Drexel was kind of painful. No cap. But the point is, I didn't really need that much access to mental health stuff. You know how many of my friends who are under the age of 24 have therapists? A lot of them. Imagine if everyone could have one, how much better things would be. The, 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 the range of irrational decisions gets narrower and narrower and narrower. The, the range of suicidal thoughts and really dark, depressive episodes gets narrower and narrower because there's someone to help you. In inner cities where, where you have to juggle working a minimum wage job and you might have children and oh my goodness i need to make sure that my kids are safe where are they right now oh i need to put food on the table for them and make sure they're like clothed and make sure that they have enough like sufficient learning and all of those things you know how stressful that is if you don't have enough income or enough family members to help you all of those things compound into where we are Get the mental health up. Get the social workers' income up. Fund them to be able to do these things. Okay? That's that's how I think about it. Defunding the police. Make the people in the communities better 
by having people around them that do not threaten them at all. And that's how it is. Last thing before I close, very last thing. There's this company. It's called Cahoots in Eugene, Oregon, a nonprofit that has responded to crisis intervention calls about domestic violence and has redirected 20% of all cases from the police. They have seen that area has also seen a 12% decrease in domestic violence cases since their opening. In addition, 2,400 calls that they've received cost $2 million, whereas those same calls would be estimated to cost the police upwards of $9.5 million. That's a $7.5 million gap you could just shovel on over to some nonprofits. Breaking down the structure of the current police is about strategically removing the responsibility of peacekeeping away from the police and in the hands of community leaders such as social workers, religious leaders, therapists, advocates, and non-armed neighborhood watches. I think I wrote that down, but like a couple months ago, I just found it on my phone. (laughs) Most of what I do is on a script, but today I said, throw the script away. We are getting in here. So that was part one. I thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate having people I can talk to about this kind of thing because, man, back in high school, I really didn't. (laughs) I really didn't, you know. Um, But I'm really thankful for all of this. I'm really sad about what's going on, and I just want to break it down. I think the next part, hmm, let's see, let's see, let's see. I I still want to put out an episode tomorrow, just like a normal kind of episode, but... Uh, I think the next part I want to work on is going to be about capitalism, like how capitalism relates to race in America, because that's a really big topic, you know? So I want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, Please stay safe. Please continue to wash your hands and wear a mask. Please, please, please do. And I'll catch you all next time.